But how much I love a mighty fortress is our God. If you don't know that hymn, that hymn was actually written by Martin Luther. It, it is the, the standard of the Reformation. And this is, this is the month of the Reformation. It was on October the 31st that Martin Luther approached the door of the Cathedral of Wittenberg and attached his 95 theses to that door, the act that we understand as starting the Reformation. Um, you may remember this, you may not. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a terrible fan of Halloween. I'm just not a Halloween guy. I know that some folks are. I wish we would spend more time remembering the 31st of October as the day the Reformation started. But that is a powerful hymn. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Go back and think about those words. Read those words again and consider what we're saying about God. This is the third week in which we're looking at these, these Sunday school stories that we, that we think we know. Um, had I gotten a couple of comments about, about the graphic of the overhead projector, um, some of y'all, a few of y'all may be too young to remember overhead projectors. Many of you are not. I don't know if I would have been able to learn math in high school if it wasn't for an overhead projector. I remember back before we had these kinds of projectors, we would project worship lyrics up on the screen with an overhead projector. But we're using that, right, because it is these stories that we've thought that we've known, and maybe, maybe I was never in a Sunday school class so fancy as to have an overhead projector in it. But it is to help us remember that, that sometimes we, we hear these stories and we think we know these stories because we've heard them so many times. Because some of us were hearing them even long before there were overhead projectors. The first week we looked at the story of Noah and the ark and, and we sort of reminded ourselves of what that story is really about and, and how God is at work in that story. Last week we looked at the Story, part of the Exodus story where the people of God cross the Red Sea. And as we're looking at these stories, we're striving to see how they fit into the overall story of God and his people and how we see these as actually being gospel stories, stories that contain and point to the gospel. You know, it's easy for us to grab a Bible and, and not understand it. I think there are many of us who even grew up in church sometimes who, who grab the Bible and don't understand what's really at work here. We read it and we read all of these, these great stories. David and Goliath, which we'll get to today. The crossing of the Red Sea. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we're going to meet next week. There are these, these stories, and, and, and we can think of it almost sometimes as, a, as an anthology, right? Just a collection of, of stories, stories about, from God, stories about maybe God, and, and, and stories that, that God's given us for a reason, but we, we sometimes fail to understand that there is a coherent narrative to the Bible. That over several thousand years, God used multiple authors to tell one story. God's story. It's a story that points to Jesus. 
the, the last phrase of the first article of the Baptist faith and message, our, our confession of faith speaks to the fact that, that Jesus is the, the criterion by which we're to interpret Scripture, that Jesus is the, is the point of Scripture, that it's by Jesus that we are to understand Scripture because Jesus is the point of Scripture. And so as we, as we get today and as we get into the story of David and Goliath here in a few minutes, I want us to remember that it's about Jesus. As we read these Old Testament stories, as we study these Old Testament stories, that should always be our question. Our question is, where do we see Jesus? Where do we see the gospel? Now, I'm not going to read the whole story of David and Goliath because it's basically an entire chapter, a long chapter of Scripture. So we're, going to, we're just going to look at three verses right sort of in the middle of the story. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read verses 45 through 47. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? David said to the Philistine, being Goliath, You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we open your word to study it this morning, I just pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would show us here in this In this story, in the Old Testament, you would show us where you are at work in it. That you would show us where your gospel and your son is in it. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you. Our God and our King. Amen. may be seated. You know, this is certainly one of these stories that we know. I think that I probably got the story of David and Goliath at least once a year, every year when I was a kid in Sunday school. Either in Sunday school, or in vacation Bible school, or on Wednesday night, or some years probably all three. We get the story. We know the story. Even people who don't know the Bible know the story of David and Goliath. There's a reason for it. It's, it's a gripping story. As I said already this morning, on the surface at least, it looks like an underdog story, and we love underdog stories, don't we? We love movies about underdogs. We love underdog sports stories. We, we, just, we love that idea of the underdog rising up and challenging the big dude, the big dog, right? One of my, one of my favorite movies, given the day of the week, my favorite movie is Star Wars, original Star Wars, A New Hope, episode four, the one that came out before I was born in 1977, the original Star Wars. And it's an underdog story, right? I mean, you have this scrappy, ragtag rebel alliance against the all-powerful galactic empire, 
At the end of the, at the end of it, they're headed back to the Death Star, which I will remind you is in fact not a moon, but a space station powerful enough to destroy entire planets. And they bring down this behemoth, this Goliath of a space station with one little stone. I mean, one little proton torpedo. Fired by that, that young shepherd from, ta- no, excuse me, moisture farmer from Tatooine. You see how these stories show up in popular culture? We love these kinds of stories. Rudy, who likes the movie Rudy? It's an underdog story. The small guy overcomes impossible odds to win out over the bad guys. And oftentimes we call these stories David and Goliath stories, right? Whether it's a fictional story or a real story, something that's going on in the news. I've actually seen the phrase David and Goliath used to describe the current war in the Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia. As we start chapter 17, if you were to go back to the beginning of the chapter, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter and you see how long this chapter is, you'll be very thankful that I, in fact, did not read the whole thing. But as we start, what we see is that we see that the Philistines have gathered their armies and, and the Philistines did not have, have a unified government. It, it, they, were a, they were a people who had various sort of city-states. And so they gathered their, their armies from these various city-states to, to bring war to Israel. And we start the chapter, chapter 17, and, and they're sort of camped across this valley from one another. The Israelites and the Philistines. And so what the Philistines do is they send their champion out for, to call out the champion of the Israelites. Now, this is a thing that actually happened. Instead of, I mean, if you could, if you could solve a conflict by risking two guys' life instead of thousands on each side, it seems like a win, right? So this is what they would do. They would send a champion out. And they would call the other guy, a champion from the other side out, and they'd go out and they'd fight each other, and whoever won, it was determined, well, they had won the day. And so the Philistines have this man from Gath, one of these city-states, named Goliath. And they send Goliath out, and Scripture tells us that Goliath is a giant. He's huge. And so he's sent out to represent all of the nation of the Philistines. But Israel doesn't send out a champion. In verse 11, we read, When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. They see this this behemoth, this giant, this (laughs) Goliath, in front of them, and they, they're afraid. They're fearful. They don't send a champion out. It's at this point that this young man named David enters into the story. Now, as you read the story of David, 
um, starting in, you know, in chapter, say, 16 or so, um, um, and, and reading through 16 and 17, it can get a little confusing. Because we see in 16, we see Samuel come to Jesse's house and anoint David. And then we see David as a member of Saul's court. And then we get this story after that about David and Goliath. And it appears as we read the story that Saul doesn't know who David is. Well, the answer to that is this. The author just has, for, for narrative reasons, put the stories out of order. This, is, this, this, this incident of David and Goliath happens before David becomes a member of Saul's court. In fact, it may actually even happen prior to him being anointed by Samuel. We don't know for sure. So, but David is a shepherd and an errand boy, and he's sent by his family to his brothers who were there on the battlefield. That's all we sort of know about him at this point. But when he's there, he hears Goliath's insults. So so what's happening here is every day, Goliath is coming out, standing in front of the Philistine army, and yelling across this valley, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, stick your head in stuff, send out your champion to fight me. And Israel's not doing it, right? I mean, Israel's... No one's there. And, and so David's there, and he hears this, this challenge from Goliath. As Goliath comes out, and he insults them, and he insults their, their, their families, and he insults their God. And David says, why isn't anybody else stepping up to challenge this guy? In verse 26, we see this. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And so we see already here, David is remembering something that everybody else in the army has forgotten. That they serve the living God. And so David is the one who decides that he is going to challenge Goliath. Now, that is probably foolish, right? Young man stepping out, all of these trained soldiers in part of the army who are there, and it's this, this kid who's going to step out and fight this this giant. But it's it's David who decides to do it. In verse 37, Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. And then Saul does this thing where he offers his armor and his shield and his weapons to David, and, and, and David rejects them. David says, and he goes, I can't move in this, man. This isn't going to work for me. 
I want to take a, a quick aside here. There are a lot of folks who spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the fact that David doesn't put on the armor and what that means and all this other sort of stuff. But I, I want to look at another thing real quick. Do, do you know who's not wearing the armor? Saul. Saul's not wearing his armor. Saul's not wielding his weapon. Saul's not, not lifting up his shield to defend the people of God. That's, that's the job, right, of the king. If no one else is to, to step forth, the, the honorable thing to do would be for the king to step forward, to be the champion of, of his people. And yet Saul, who's already lost the favor of God, Saul's hiding, not wearing his armor, not lifting his shield, not wielding his sword so that he has it to give away. What we see here is one more example of why God's favor has been removed from Saul. Because of Saul's moral cowardice, his lack of faith. It should have been the king, the, the one who's been anointed. Saul was anointed. We've just seen David be anointed, but Saul is anointed first. It should be the anointed one of God who stands before God's people and says, God, God's present with us. God will fight the fight. We have to have faith. And yet he's the first one to tell this kid, hey, man, awesome, great. Take my stuff, and I'll see you when you get back. If you get back. And then so what we see here is this shift. We see a shift as the champion who will represent Israel emerges in the person of David. David who has not forgotten whose people they are. Just prior to the, to the little speech that we that we read earlier, this this speech from David, um, we get one last word from Goliath. So David has stepped out, and Goliath sees him, and we see in, in verse 41, the Philistine came closer and closer to David. And there's a part of me that, that sort of sees it in my head like this, because David is so small in the face of this, that there, there's almost this comedic aspect to it, right? Of the Philistine having to get closer and closer so he can see him. Because we, we know that Goliath is full of himself, right? I mean, we can, we can see from, from Goliath's behavior that it would not have been out of character for him to sort of make fun of David. Because he does. Right there. He says that He sees David and he despises him. And he says to him, am I a dog that you're going to come at me with a stick? Because David's got his staff with him, right? And then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and to the wild beasts. And then we have that speech from David that we read already. See, what Goliath is saying here is, yeah, you kid, you and which army? 
And David's response is, which army? No. Actually, the Lord of armies. That's who you're going to fight today. David's response shows, A, why he is going to triumph, B, why he is not scared, and C, why we can call David a man after God's own heart. David's speech, these these three verses, are the linchpin of this entire story of David and Goliath. We get into into the, the, the details about this story. I was pointed out today, and I feel the need to do this, it is not a slingshot, all right? This is not Dennis the Menace going out to fight Goliath. This is a, this is a sling. It's a different kind of weapon, similar, but different. I remember one time in the, as a kid being told that we knew that, David, that Goliath had to be running toward David because Goliath fell face forward, even though actually the text tells us something different. We get bogged down in these stories about this, where it was, and all these details, and we forget that these three verses that are the point of the story. This is the meat. This is God's declaration that no weapon wielded by an enemy of God can defeat the sovereign will of God. This isn't about David doing it or us doing anything. This is not about us standing up to our own Goliaths. How many times have you heard this story and it got turned into the sermon, turned into a standing up to your Goliath in your life? It's not the point of the story. The point of the story isn't about you doing anything. The point of the story isn't about me or David or anyone else doing anything. The point of the story is that God is doing it. Yes, through David, but God is the actor here. David is not the main character of the story. Goliath is not the main character. Saul isn't the main character. God is the main character of the story. It's God who acts. It's God who triumphs. And it is God who saves. This is is all in what David points out in his speech. He doesn't talk about his weapons but rather the presence of the Lord. He, he doesn't speak about what he's going to do. Go back and, and read what, what, Saul, what, what Goliath has done, right? Goliath said, I'm going to do this to you. And what David says is not, I'm, and I'm going to do this to you. What David says is, and the Lord is going to do this to you. Verse 46. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. Into 47. And this whole assembly, Israel and Philistine, will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. You know, it's not about us doing anything. It's about how God fights for us. It shows that there is indeed in God on this earth and that He is the one who gives us victory. 
A little later in 1 Corinthians, we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 earlier, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes this, But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory that comes to us is an act of God, not an act of us. As we think about this story, I want us to think about who are the parties on the field of battle. You've got two main armies, right? You've got the Philistine army, the enemies of God. They're defiant, they're cruel, they even curse God. And then you have God's people, the ones that He has made His own, the ones that He has chosen, and they are scared and fearful and afraid Not only that they will not prevail, they are afraid that they cannot prevail. After all, look at that guy. Look at the army that's behind him. It would be foolishness to go out there and fight him. But they've forgotten. Even Israel has forgotten that there is a third player on the stage. The Lord of armies, the Lord Sabaoth, as we sang in a mighty fortress as our God. The Lord of armies, sometimes you may have seen it as the Lord of hosts, how it's also been translated. The, the commander of the cosmic forces who fight both cosmic events and through historical events for his own chosen people. And God announces this Lord of armies not only to the Philistines and Goliath, but also to the people of Israel. Remember who it is that is your God. Remember who it is, by the way, Israel. Let me remind you of what he's already done for you. Now for them it wasn't last week, but they would have known the story of the Red Sea. They would have known the story of them coming out of Egypt. They would have known the story of them, the triumph on the move into the promised land. Remember who it is that has chosen you. It wasn't Saul that chose you. And it's not me that chooses you. But it's God who has chosen us as his people. And so this young man, with no armor, no shield, no spear, no sword, steps out. And it was foolishness. If any of you have ever been around guys in the military, people in the, in the army, you know what happened when that little, when that kid, that young man, steps out in front of the line. Hey, hey, look at this guy. Look at this idiot. Look at him. What's he think, what's he, think he was going to do? He's going to get us all killed. Except <clears throat> knowing the guys that I've known in the military, it was probably said slightly rougher than that. What a fool. Paul reminds us, as we read earlier today, this is still the way the world looks at us when we proclaim the gospel. What a fool. To believe that some guy was God and died on a cross for you to forgive you, you are an idiot. The 
the word of cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. Everybody on that field, when they saw David step out, saw a foolish act because they were perishing. But David walked with God. He remembered who he was. He remembered to whom he belonged. And he remembered that the Lord of armies would fight the battle for him. There is no larger enemy that we have in life than the enemy of our own sin. And it steps out every day to challenge us to one-on-one combat. And too many of us sit back and don't fight it and don't engage it because we've forgotten that the battle is already won. Another anointed one of God, Jesus, the Messiah, which means anointed one, the Christ, has stepped out and already vanquished the enemy that would claim our lives. Because God does the work. And so tomorrow, because it's going to happen, when you wake up and you are faced with the giant of your own sin calling you out so that it can kill you and enslave you, just remember that the Lord of armies has and will defeat that Goliath for his glory so that the whole world will know that there is a God. Our hymn of invitation this morning is going to be uh, hymn number 74, O God.